Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, welcome on today's episode of Partially Excited. We got Joseph McGuire. If you guys want to see anything and get your face analyzed in communication and the unspoken words, this is your guy. He sits down and analyzes faces and tells you about how they're acting in their physical, mental, maybe spiritual access of how our face communicates through how we communicate. Hello and welcome to the show, Joseph. How are you doing today? Hi, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. Great pleasure to be here. As a young child growing up, did you have this intuition or this feeling that you could look at people's faces and figure out what's happening in the internal view but as an external aspect as well? No, the faces bit came later but certainly as a small child I knew I was picking up a lot of information from people and about people beyond what was being spoken about. I can remember sitting you know, sitting on the floor in my parents' home as a very small child and knowing that I knew quite a bit about the adults around me. Now, I don't, I'm not talking about intimate details, but just stuff about their personality, who was confident, who wasn't, who was holding stuff back. Uh, I just picked up a lot of that stuff. And then also my father introduced me to sport, particularly football, at a very early age. And he would bring me to games. He would actually carry a wooden crate so that I could, sorry, for me to stand on, so that I could see over the side of the pitch because I was probably only four years old or something initially when he brought me. And I realized I could see a lot of the patterns in the game, see a lot of what was going to happen in terms of who was moving where, who was who was going to move where, the, where the ball was going to go. And I just assumed everybody was doing that stuff. Obviously, they weren't. And then it was only many years later when I lived in London, when I moved to London and started studying there, I was introduced to face reading as one of the diagnostic techniques used in traditional oriental medicine when i was introduced to that it was to me it was like just bells ringing and 
light bulbs flashing because it gave me a structure. It gave me a very defined structure to explain a lot of what I could see and what I was picking up. And it also made so much sense to me because it came from a philosophy, uh, like the tradition of face reading in Chinese business, Chinese medicine, Chinese politics is some is at least 3,000 years old. It's not, that's how far back the documentation goes. But the understanding is that the mind and the body are one inseparable unit. And you could, you could say the spirit is part of that as well. I had, I guess, intuitively always understood we're not just a physical structure that the mind is influencing the body and vice versa and the body in many respects is a metaphor for what's happening internally when i started to study this and became immersed in it it just opened up a whole a whole new world of understanding but also ways for me to explain what i was already doing intuitively and it gave as i said because people like structure and it just gave it just opened doors for me to to reflect to think more widely to think more deeply i guess as well and to understand well actually to be to be reassured even that there was a there was a tradition there were other people who had been working and developed systems and understanding that was way beyond anything i had done but also to know that i wasn't alone in the world because it was it was kind of strange growing up knowing that i knew stuff that i couldn't explain to people and i guess also because i grew up without any confidence I just held a lot of stuff in as well. So to be exposed to this world where I was being given this information, this knowledge from this deep tradition, and then sharing it with colleagues and, and, and a whole new circle of friends, it opened up the world to me in a way that uh, it, had never, uh, it had never been available to me before. As, as a child, did your parents identify this and notice it in this in, in you? No, it was not a particularly expressive household anyway. I wouldn't have had the confidence to say it anyway. I just basically kept my mouth shut. Why didn't you have the confidence? Oh, <laughs> that's a deep question, Aaron. Yeah, I guess I know. I know my birth was traumatic. I know there was a lot of stress in the family in terms of my father being having major, major health issues around the time of my birth. And he had health issues right through his life. Like he worked hard. He was he was physically strong, but internally he had a lot of serious health issues, which were very debilitating for him. And I think that that caused massive stress. My my mother my mother would be quite a fearful individual anyway. Like I didn't I didn't have any of that the horror stories that people talk about in terms of abuse and all that. It was just a, an unexpressive household, and I think and it was a very conservative Catholic household, which didn't sit with me even as a small child like I'm not against Catholicism or any other religion but it was it was way too strict for me I just effectively at a very very young age withdrew into myself and didn't really know how to express what was going on for me it was I guess like in retrospect I can see it was a some kind of protective mechanism but I obviously didn't know that at the time so it, it's been a yeah, it's been an ongoing journey, um, building confidence and finding a place in the world and finding the, I guess, the willingness to express myself as much as, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say courage, more the willingness to express myself. And that's thankfully in a, an altogether better, stronger, healthier place now. But it has been, it has been a long journey. But I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Like I was a therapist for many years myself and I treated people who had the most horrendous backgrounds and histories and I'm very grateful that that wasn't part of mine but we all have we all have different histories and backgrounds as we know and we all respond in different ways and it took me many many years I guess to to understand that it's not what happened to us but how we respond that counts and to realize that I actually had choice 
and that's part of what I look to share with people now in my own training that we're, we're always in that place of having choice and we can regardless of what has or hasn't happened to us being in the present is a very very powerful place to be and that's the place from which to make the choices in terms of creating a future and that's probably a, a roundabout answer to your question but it all kind of fits together in my head anyway did you want to become a therapist or did that kind of made you discover to identify your confidence as well oh i didn't want to be a therapist. i didn't i didn't search it out as such it was one of those i guess synchronistic happenings though as I, growing up i wanted to be a professional footballer that was the only thing i wanted to be and in retrospect again i'm very glad that i never did become one i i, I didn't have the ability to be at that level anyway but and if I had been in, if I had been exposed to that because I didn't have the confidence, I think I probably would have been quite damaged, because it's a tough world. No, it was only when I moved to London. I had just, yeah, I'd been introduced to natural foods before I left Ireland. I moved to Israel initially to spend time in the kibbutz, then moved to London, and I had some addresses to follow up on my interest in natural foods because I found that gave me the the change of diet gave me such a huge boost in energy, well-being, vitality all of that i wanted to follow it up wanted to follow up the, this these new discoveries so it was a particular center i went to visit in london one evening they had a, a vegetarian restaurant there and i just got sitting at a table opposite the guy who happened to be there i had no idea who he was he was from denmark we just got chatting and he said he was over for a course and a guy came by the table and my new friend called him over and pointed at me and said this guy wants to do the course which was the first thing i'd heard about it and it happened to be starting that night I just said, okay, let's go for it. And that was the beginning of my training. So there was no plan at all. It just it just happened. And, and probably at the, the time in Ireland, natural foods wasn't the way it is today. But tell us how you came across natural foods. I guess another of those synchronicities. I had acupuncture treatment for a back problem in, I think, 1976, which would have been very novel in Ireland at the time. And I, I didn't get any information from the acupuncturist, but I, my back injury was cleared very quickly. So I was fascinated by that. Some years later, I had a knee injury from playing football. And I initially went to the Matter Hospital a few times and just I was told different things each time. So I just gave up on that one um, because it wasn't making my knee any better. So I came across this other acupuncturist and went to see him. And he, at that stage, was recommending all his patients change their diet to a natural foods diet. And I had literally gone to him. It was a Saturday afternoon. I'd gone for lunch in McDonald's, went to him, got this list of foods from him, foods to eat, foods not to eat, placed the address of a place in the city centre in Dublin where I could get those foods, went back in, got them. I was still living with my parents at the time, so brought them home, put them on the kitchen table because I was a good Irish boy, didn't do any cooking. Brought, put them on the kitchen table, said to my mother, would you cook those for me, please, because that's what I'm eating now. So I literally changed my diet overnight. She had no idea what the foods were. I'd never seen or heard of them before. I rang the guy, got basic cooking instructions. And initially, I would say it was like eating a combination of polyfiller with gravel because it was so badly cooked. But I just got such incredible energy from it. Like I'd always been fit, but this was this was beyond anything I'd experienced because um, after a while, and it didn't, it was like it was a very short while, it was only a matter of weeks, I started to feel so much energy that I, I actually felt it was like a waste of time going to bed at night. And I also then was fortunate to find a restaurant in Dublin city centre, I think probably the only one at the time, which served this food and it was actually delicious. 
so that was obviously a lifesaver but I learned a few basic recipes then that I then started to do myself so I was absolutely fascinated by all of this and then so I'd, I'd, I'd made arrangements to move to Israel for a time so that kind of disrupted things but then once I got once I got to London I was able to really start following through and learning and learning how to cook and prepare the foods and all of that so it became it just became a, a way of life then Why did you go to Israel? Israel had been a beacon for me for many years I'd, I'd always had a fascination with history uh, not just Irish history but global history and I guess I get probably because I was so lacking in confidence myself I tuned into what I perceived as injustice in the world always my favorite football teams my favorite singers my favorite actors my favorite film roles always seemed to be to do with people who were struggling or fighting injustice or were the underdog so I always kind of identified with that and I'd read a lot about about the formation of of, of Israel the whole the history of the Holocaust I'd read various novels to do with that whole period of time I knew a number of people then who had been to Israel and spent time on uh, one or other of the kibbutzim it just it was like a, it was just like a beacon calling me uh, and I, it wasn't that I wanted to become Jewish or anything like that there was just something about Israel that resonated with me and I, I connected with um, an organization called Project 67 in London and one could go one could be placed on a kibbutz through them so that was what I did and again it was very fortunate that I did because Although I'd connected with natural foods before leaving Ireland, I had been made redundant from the company I was working in and I couldn't see a future in Ireland. And I was, even though I wasn't, I'd stopped drinking alcohol, I was still going to the pub with my friends most nights of the week because I couldn't see anything else to do. Life wasn't exactly open and fulfilling here. So the prospect of going somewhere else for whatever reason had resonated with me was yeah, it was very significant and then going to Israel I was exposed to people from so many other cultures and glorious sunshine and different foods and different ways of thinking different languages so that opened up a whole other vista or probably a series of vistas about life so I guess there was a even, even though I didn't see it at the time or didn't know it before I went there was a bigger purpose behind going there as well so you spend time in Israel you go to London what, what happened in London to continue this fascinating journey of exploration Okay, well, I signed up for that course, which was initially a three-month course, which was like four evenings a week and many weekends. And that included nutrition, how to cook, how to cook whole foods, how to cook and prepare whole foods. Much of what we were eating was actually very much oriental style cooking, which really appealed to me and still does. There was, uh, there was training in shiatsu, which is a branch of oriental medicine of our treatment often referred to as acupuncture without needles it was facial diagnosis uh, we did some other, we learned some other forms of diagnosis as well i was also then working for one of my teachers a health food store that he owned so i was getting a huge amount of practice because as soon as anybody would walk in the store he would ask okay what's his condition what's her condition so it was full-on training which i absolutely loved my whole social circle became people who were interested in the same stuff. So we were constantly feeding off each other, sometimes literally through visiting and parties and all of that. But through our through our conversation, it was, it was all around learning this stuff. And I just felt, I felt like I'd, I guess I'd found my place. And it just, again, it just opened up whole new ways of thinking. And it, it was kind of, the, tra the, the course, uh, this, that was the first course, so there were several other courses following on from that, and then other kind of adjuncts and more specialized shiatsu training, etc. But it was kind of, 
yeah, I guess it was kind of expected of us who were who were doing those courses that we would become therapists. I met as part of that broader community. I met a German lady who uh, she's now my ex-wife, but her best friend was married to the director of a smaller center in in uh, Hamburg, and they were looking for people to come and work there. So that was kind of the next step: move to Hamburg, start practicing, start teaching, and um, yeah, that's where that's where that side of things sort of led me and. That's where that took off. While you're learning this and diagnosing to understand your therapy, you probably were going through your own personal diagnosis as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that is ongoing. Yeah, I guess I, I, guess I didn't realize even then, and probably for quite a number of years, how little real self-confidence I had. So that was still that was still holding me back in many ways. In some ways, it was probably beneficial too, because I actually thought I was further along than I than I was in terms of my own personal development, personal transformation. It probably allowed me to take some risks that I mightn't have taken. I had been that bit more self-aware. I mightn't have gone to Germany because when I got when I when we moved to Germany, I didn't speak any German. So I was learning from scratch. I was learning through conversation. I probably wouldn't have automatically said yes to teaching German uh, groups of people in Germany because within the first six months of being there, and again, not speaking German, I taught something like 50-odd classes and never having taught anything before either. And I didn't realize how naive I was and how unprepared I was to teach anything. Whereas if I had been more self-aware, <laughs> I might have done a much better job. I didn't. I don't know that I did a bad job, but I think I, I would have done a lot better job. But I probably wouldn't have been willing to take the risk in the first place, uh, especially given that I didn't speak German at the time. So my naivety was very helpful. But the transformation, again, it has been ongoing. I guess one of the things I did learn, and particularly, I've, I've been so heavily influenced by Oriental philosophy over so many years, uh, by Taoism and, and and Zen, I guess. Uh, in particular and one quote that immediately comes to mind here is that life doesn't judge us it mirrors how we are and I was I certainly recognized that the people who are coming to me for treatment particularly to, to an extent for classes but particularly for treatment were reflecting something in me and mirroring something so I was learning a lot sometimes consciously sometimes unconsciously through through that whole experience and then obviously through the, the broader experience of being in there a, a very to me foreign society and it's been yeah it's been a gradual i would describe as as much learning uh, or unlearning as learning because a lot of stuff needs to be unlearned as we go a lot of the social conditioning a lot of the parental conditioning the environmental conditioning the educational conditioning all of that which in many respects hasn't served us to any great degree certainly not in terms of recognizing our deepest values our deepest our deepest purpose i guess because i do believe we all have a purpose here i know i get i tend to give very roundabout answers to questions Aaron, as you're as you're noticing <laughs> what one of the things that happened as i developed my practice and that was both in hamburg and then later back in back in ireland was that when i would reach a plateau where the my skills only could only help people to a certain point and then i would get people with a whole different range of problems different personalities and sometimes much more challenging so i had to i had to grow more both in terms of my skills, but also my awareness and my self-awareness and my understanding of my understanding of where I was really at and what I really had to offer. And I often then had to stretch myself to go beyond previous comfort zones, I guess. 
it has been and remains an unfolding it remains a fascinating journey because there's always so much learning there i guess one of the great breakthroughs was that instead of I guess for for a time I saw it as oh god there's all this other stuff I have to learn I have to grow in so many ways and can I manage it and all that where now it's just a joy to recognize oh there's so much more to learn there's so much more possibility out there like I say a roundabout answer to uh, a very simple question but that's fairly normal for me <laughs> I also think when we're young and naive and eager to achieve we sometimes when we're older we're wiser and we say I shouldn't have done that or should have done this but when we're in the moment it's like that sounds great I'll, I'll jump on it and I like that, that analogy of the mirror I think it's so so true in discovering Shiatsu were you interested in the likes of Buddhism Taoism or did that kind of come through the exploration of Shiatsu Well, I'd always been interested in different philosophies. One of the great gifts my parents gave me was they introduced me to read. Well, I presume school introduced me to reading, but my parents enrolled me in the local library at a very early age. And I became a voracious reader. I read very, very widely. And I was fascinated by, I guess, social history, even anthropology, different cultures. So I read a lot about different backgrounds, different traditions, different significant figures in different traditions as well. So it wasn't, I guess, I guess Taoism and Zen in as much, I, I don't pretend, I, I, you know, I'm under no illusion that I have an in-depth understanding of Zen, but in as much as I, in as much as I do understand it, it was very, it really resonated with me. And that word keeps coming up, resonance. Uh, it resonated very strongly and Taoism as well, because there was, there was a philosophy of being present and being in flow with life. That just made so much sense to me because so much of what I grew up with was life being struggle. Not just not just me personally, but that is that was what was being modeled for me. You have to work hard and life is a grind and all of that. Inside internally it just didn't make sense. And it's nothing it's not to knock hard work because I've I've always been willing to work hard. But there was a just a deep, deep intuitive sense that life could be a lot easier if I found if I found the key and philosophy, the lessons in Taoism and Zen kept coming back to me and kept just, it's like they were prodding me to, to say, yeah, just, just tweak it a little bit, just tweak your understanding, tweak your, tweak your way of being and life would be easier. And I, re, I very, very slowly realized that I was living life in a way that was way too intense. I was trying very, very hard to figure life out because I guess I felt for most of my life that I was I was in this alien place. Life as I saw it in the world around me didn't make sense to me. How people were living didn't make sense. How society was structured didn't make sense. I knew there was a different way to do it, for me at least, but it's been it's been a very gradual unfolding to to be at ease within myself and to be at ease with the world and to recognize that life as a whole can be a very light and joyful experience and that's more and more what I'm looking to share now through my own work yeah there's just a sense of just a sense of deep deep connection with the basic philosophies of of Taoism and Zen because Zen Zen takes you out of logic and it, it's like it stops you thinking but it, it it allows your mind to drop into another place which is beyond thinking and it's it, it's it's a difficult one to explain in words and the more you try to explain it in words the more elusive it becomes uh, but to experience that state without thinking is something incredibly profound i don't know that one can stay there and i don't know that one can function in the world with it but i've certainly experienced it on on many occasions and it transforms one's view of the world and of life 
but it's then a case of how to how to bring that into life and how to apply it and how to apply it not just for one's own benefit but for the benefit of those those with whom one comes in contact whether that be on a personal or a professional level you've really got me thinking here Aaron. <laughs> so we're in hamburg we're in germany we're doing treatments did the, the, mm-hmm. fa- did the facial diagnosis happen at this time or did it happen before or after can you give us a little how do you do this yeah. discover it yeah because i was based in this center there were so many courses being offered there and it just made sense for me to offer courses on reading the face and initially i was doing it as purely from a diagnostic perspective the more i delved into it and the more conscious i became i guess of my own internal workings the more i was bringing in the the personality and behavioral side of things the communication side of things that was altogether more intriguing for me like the chinese perspective is particularly in, in traditional chinese medicine chinese perspective is that all illness starts in the mind or at a mind energy level before it becomes physical and again that resonated with me so i guess because i'd never taught anything before as well and because i was also learning to speak german i was easing my way in but i was i was teaching yeah i was teaching shiatsu and facial diagnosis on a very regular basis when i moved back to ireland i started to expand it in terms of how i was doing it so again initially here i was teaching it to both public and healthcare professionals that and that when i say healthcare professionals that was from very eminent medical consultants down to the most shall we say way out alternative practitioners sometimes in the same room together but i just gradually evolved it into bringing in more of the as i say the personality behavior communication side of it like my classes have always been interactive so i would use people to use the the people in the room including myself as models to illustrate what it was i was talking about it, it became more and more about not just pointing out details of what they meant but then how to identify the deeper strengths that very often we weren't living and again that i guess that also comes back to the mirroring idea behind the george bernard shaw quote that we teach the things we most need to learn so i was gradually revealing myself to myself as i was doing the work and in the in that process i was because i was emphasizing to other people what their strengths were more clearly than they had often seen them before i was helping to bring out more of my own as well in the process that that must have spent a lot of time in front of the, the mirror in the bathroom look at your own face to to master this <laughs> That's not my preferred occupation, Lauren, I can assure you. I guess initially when I when I was introduced to this, I could see my own as I would have seen it shortcomings very clearly and I would have been very very self-critical, hyper self-critical and also had certain perfectionist tendencies. So I would have seen all the things I didn't want to see. So spending time in the bathroom looking at the mirror was not my favorite occupation by any means. And I suppose I had one big wake-up call early on where the first person on whom I saw a really serious illness before it was diagnosed was my own father, where I saw a heart condition. And I was naive enough to point it out, which caused ripples in the family. It wasn't that long after that he was diagnosed with a heart condition and he had a series of heart issues uh, and then died from heart failure after having a triple bypass. But it caused... Yeah, it caused anxiety in the family, particularly with my mother, because for quite some time afterwards, any time we would meet, I was still living abroad, uh, but any time we would meet, she would ask, "Okay, what's what do you see on my face? What's wrong with me?" So, which is which is a very uncomfortable place to be with anybody, particularly if they're if it's if it's you know a family member or somebody you're close to. 
Sorry, I've gone off. I've gone off track from do the you, question there. Apologies. Do you, do you regret that? I don't live with regrets, and that's something my father taught me. When I got married, my ex-wife is from Cologne, and we got married there. And my parents came over for the wedding. I spent some time just showing my father around Cologne. And one of the things he said to me was that he realized he had made a lot of mistakes with my sister and I when we were children, but he had no regrets because he did the best he could at the time. And I really took that one on board. Yeah, I could certainly say I've made a lot of mistakes. I could say I've had a lot of failures, but I don't think that way anymore. I just accept that I was where I was and I've moved on and I've learned from it and I've helped more people than I've hurt in the process. Have you kind of made ties with the family now over that, or is it still um, rocking? Oh, yeah, it didn't. Um, yeah, it didn't damage things in any kind of permanent way. Uh, like my father, my father's long dead anyway, and he and I did become very close in the last few years of his life. Albeit the fact that I wasn't living in Ireland uh, and was still living in Germany when he died, which had a massive impact on me for a long time, not being there, but. I guess my, my mother would never have been particularly emotionally expressive anyway, so we kind of just got along. And I guess my, my I have two sisters, but the, the, the girl who's closest to me in age is three years younger than me. She had a medical background, but she's very, very intuitive. So she, I guess she would have got it. So it wouldn't have been, anything I said wouldn't have impacted on her so much in, in, that, in that context. And she was living abroad and has been, has been living abroad since as well. So, so there were no, there were no, there was no, there was no rent in the family in, in that regard. It just caused those ripples of discomfort. I guess that that's probably the best way to describe it. You were diagnosing and understanding people's people's faces, but if I met you in the street and you didn't know we didn't know each other and you looked at my face and I tell you I'm Aaron I do A, B and C through our communication can you identify triggers or things I'm saying through looking at my face while communicating with me yeah yeah your face even if you don't speak your face will tell me a huge amount about you and then one of the things I'm looking at or tuning into I guess is the best better term when people are speaking as well is whether they're whether what their face is telling me is resonating with what they're telling me verbally because that's one of the big things in communication is there's there's the there's the verbal and there's the non-verbal like I do work with body language as well what I'm looking for when people are actually speaking is congruency or lack thereof it's what people speak, it's what people say, and some people are incredibly articulate, as we know, very verbally dexterous. Some people are real smooth talkers, but I'm looking to check whether this is really congruent, the words and the, and the body language, the gestures, the face, the facial expressions, whether, the, whether there's real congruency there or not. And many times they're not. That, that simply isn't, isn't present. And that's one thing that, like, when I would be called as part of my work, if I'm called to sit in on interviews for, like, senior level roles, that's particularly what I'm looking for because people who have reached a, a certain level, you know, C-level, etc., in business, tend by and large to be fairly articulate and good at presenting themselves. But I'm looking at whether there's real substance there or whether it's just, whether it's just words. And how are you able to know if it's a lie or honesty by the way their face reacts to the conversation? Or yeah, that's um, that's always a key question. That's one I when I'd be asked a lot. And the reality is, from surveys that I've that I've been aware of, generally, your your average person, if I can use that term, would be would have us would have a fifty fifty chance of of gauging whether somebody is lying or not. And many 
professionals like in, uh, in police forces or even some body language professionals wouldn't be any more accurate. I guess I've learned to, I'm not even sure that I can explain how I do it. I've learned to tune in more. Like one of the things, I guess one of the things I talk about is may make it a little bit clearer. I still have a fascination with reading and studying. And one of the areas that fascinates me particularly is neuroscience. Neuroscience, neuroscience they talk about three brains, which we've got the, the head, the head, the heart, and the gut. And it's like it's been demonstrated that we have brains in each of those areas and that those brains are continually communicating with each other. If those brains are working coherently and congruently, we're much more attuned to ourselves, we're much more, much more attuned to what's going on in the world around us and the people we're dealing with. So we have the gut feeling, we have the we have what our heart is telling us, and then we have the logical interpretative side where we process information on that intellectual level. I'm not looking to check whether people are lying. I'm allowing the information to present itself to me. And I'm I'm checking in in those areas whether that information is really congruent or not. If I or we start actively looking for X in somebody's presentation, somebody's conversation, it's very easy to miss the bigger picture. It's like it's like a blood test. The blood test has to be for something very specific. It can't be for everything. Uh, I don't know if that analogy makes sense to you, but it again, it does make sense to me. So it's very much allowing the information to come to me and then checking it as it comes and checking for discrepancies. So when you meet someone, are you constantly on edge looking for what they're not communicating or are you in the flow of, of conversation as well? By and large, I'm in the flow because if I were constantly looking for stuff and constantly looking to interpret and assess and analyze, I think I would be demented, quite frankly, because that would be, that would be information overload. So when I meet people, I'm just looking to meet them and hopefully without without getting into some some kind of like meta analysis or super analysis mode just recognize how best to communicate with them as an individual just very simply so but but not 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 taking it uh, not taking it to any great depth in terms of oh should i do this or should i speak this way but just just relaxing with the person and when i meet people for the first time and then they hear what i do it's not unusual for people to feel uh, or to feel or to tell me even they feel that I'm a bit uneasy here, or I'm just, like some people have thought that that I was looking into their soul and all sorts of weird stuff like that, which I I wouldn't do. I couldn't I couldn't do. I wouldn't want to do even if I could. So it's very much about just meeting the person and just relaxing with them, and if they're anyway uncomfortable, helping them relax because really it's it's all about relationship building. That's really what it comes down to, and building building harmonious relationship to the you know whether that's on a again a personal, social, or business level. The more harmonious the relationship the more we can work together effectively for the benefit of all. In 2016, you decided to go towards business, is that right, in doing this? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was, again, that wasn't a particular plan as such, but I had been a therapist for almost 30 years, and a lot of what I did was hands-on, because I trained in a number of different modalities. And then I did a lot of exchanges with other therapists where we were learning from each other. And I got a reputation. I learned through exchanges rather than training how to do deep tissue work got a reputation for being good at it and the last few years in Dublin because I've moved several times but the last few years in Dublin a lot of what I was doing was deep tissue work I'd also had a lot of marital life stress etc as well the deep deep tissue work took a major toll on me on my body so it reached a point 
after a few years where my body just said can't do this anymore because I started getting strains and tendonitis in my shoulders and bursitis and uh, wrist problems and various other things which meant I just couldn't physically work anymore and uh, the only thing I was trained to do was to read faces and I knew there were a number of people in the states in particular who've been working working in the corporate world with face reading you know and um, HR sales training um, interviewing etc and then some people working with uh, with the legal profession as well which wasn't an area I particularly wanted to go to uh, so it just made sense to transfer the skills I had and utilize them in a different context so I did a bit of road testing basically just held a number of free events business connections I knew because I had already started engaging in, in networking and in, 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 you know in business environments so inviting people inviting people I knew and then people they knew and then making sure they were interactive and then getting feedback from people as to what was working and what wasn't working and again it's been a it's been a gradual process of building building that practice and in some cases there were things I thought I would be doing that haven't really happened and other things that I'd never thought of which have really flourished but it was but the it wasn't a plan to start doing it it was just necessity must have been cool to be known as the deep tissue guy that that's a cool uh title to, <laughs> title to have <laughs> well yeah I'm, I'm i'm very glad that i wouldn't be doing it anymore because i mean one of the things that was that i had throughout my experience as a therapist was that as soon as i would touch somebody i would pick up on a lot of their emotional stuff and a lot of their not again not like not like the intimate details of what was going on in their lives but i would pick up on a lot of their life stresses so in some cases i might as well have been working on i might as well have been working on a wall or a banister because people's muscles were so tight and i was so i was on the one hand i was having to work physically hard to try and break down the lesions and the the strains but i was also picking up on their tension I was also carrying a lot of my own tension so it might be a cool title but oh it was a very challenging experience so I'm very glad I'm not in there anymore. How are you able to deal with your own tension and other people's tension to differentiate is this mine or theirs? Oh, good question. I wasn't as good looking back. I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I was never one of you know this strutting male sort of macho types but I was physically strong and I, I guess I saw myself and that was partly because I also had a, a martial arts background as well I did see myself as kind of a warrior so kind of bring it on in terms of whatever not not in terms of aggression but in terms of like challenges and whatever problems people brought me um, and I thought I was handling my stress a lot better than I was I thought I was letting go of other people's stress is better than I was and I think that's where it all culminated in my body basically just giving up because there were a lot of there were a lot of other health issues that arose nothing like nothing life threatening or anything but there was a whole series of life or of uh, health issues that arose which and because of my background it was very clear to me that a lot of this stuff was not non was not physical in origin so it had to it made me have to reflect to re-examine where I was and how I was operating. It's fair to <laughs> it's certainly fair to say I've been a slow learner in many ways. I've learned a lot through adversity and through yeah, when there's been more than a few occasions where life came crashing down. I didn't see my role in creating that. Thankfully, I'm a lot more awake now, a lot more, a lot more tuned into what's mine and what's not mine, a lot more tuned into how to be in the world. Thankfully, I'm in a much more I won't say constantly joyful place, but I 
every day for much of the day I recognize the joy in life so there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't get to me anymore there's a lot of stuff that is certainly in my past that I don't need to deal with because it's just gone but also and I, get, I know this is very much taking, your, taking the, the answer to the question off in a slightly different direction but one very huge, very very significant piece of information is insight rather which actually has been I've, I've gained it through working with a, a mutual friend of ours Lee Tony Ware that the past is just information so I no longer look back on the past as anything certainly anything negative I just recognize that what happens happens that's been immensely helpful both personally and also then in how I help other people because it's, it's no longer about regrets and recrimination self-recrimination self-criticism all that stuff either for me or people i work with it's it's very much about okay we're here now and let's just deal with what's happening now let's just look forward at what we want what we want to create the life we want so it's no longer it's no longer taking on stuff either personally or taking on other people's stuff it's a it's a completely completely different state completely different way of being it's so much freer it's so much lighter and recognizing one doesn't have to one doesn't have to carry one's own stuff and one certainly doesn't have to take on other stuff from other people so it's not to say life is stress-free but when a stress arises of any description internally or externally it's so much easier to let go of it so much more quickly and that's part of the joy the recognition that one can do that is part of the joy of, of the joy of being and it's it makes life so much more fun and it's also it also goes back to that word unlearning when realizing that one can just unlearn all that other stuff all the other conditioning and live in a very different way very different state very different perception of life very different perception of oneself very different perception of other people and how we engage with each other how we interact the world we're creating around ourselves so it's opened up it's opened up life it's opened up myself and that's as I've opened up life has come to meet me in a much much more fulfilling and rewarding way than I would ever have experienced before and obviously obviously I want want a lot more of that and not just for me but because having gone through all those experiences and having gone through the learning and the unlearning and the opening up um, it gives me so much more to share that can actually benefit other people as well so um, there's another long and roundabout answer for you <laughs> so you're coming to a point where your your body is saying no 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 uh-huh. and you're you're thinking I don't want to do the. F-. it sounds like you were avoiding to do the face stuff in business and legal and all the the business world that we that we kind of sit in how do you come about coming to that vital decision of saying i can't be doing this massage work or this deep tissue work Uh anymore but i need to focus on something different that must have been a very hard but amazing decision to come to at the same time no i probably i I probably didn't express something there as clearly as i might have because as a therapist my clientele was very came from so many different backgrounds and i treated quite a number of police officers detectives Uh lawyers prison officers, probation officers, amongst others. Overarching impression I got from dealing with them was how stressful that whole profession is. And obviously it's a series of professions intertwined and how challenging so many of the personalities are and so and how much aggression there is in it. So it was more that side of things I didn't want to deal with. 
I didn't want to I didn't want to engage in that and I have been, like I have been approached about working in that field and it just I just that's where I, I, I still say no that's definitely not an area I would I would go to because I think for me that would be very destructive but the business side was more I was I was much more open to that because as I said I was already engaged in business networking I was more open to that and I'd always loved I mean I just I just love reading faces anyway but it was a case of it was a case of how to adapt it again it took me a while to recognize the importance of or the difference between what I really enjoyed doing and what they needed and what they got most benefit from because it was always fun for me to do it and I could I could do it at the drop of a hat and I had to make sure equally that it wasn't just seen as a party game but the the thing of doing it doing it for business people you know that's that I was open to it was just a case of how best to do it and how best to present myself and again it go, it also goes back to part of my own journey I guess of my own process where the more I opened up to myself the easier it was to engage with with the business world in terms of what I was doing both in terms of the the depth of connection I was making the quality of connection and what was being offered to me what was being presented to me as opportunity so uh, you're really you're really getting me thinking here Aaron (laughs) (laughs) Um, you're a guy who's lived on the planet for a good length of time uh, it's very diplomatic of you Aaron yes thank you (laughs) so out of everyone that's touched you who's inspired you throughout your life to do what you want to do or kind of push you to a point where hey Joe of you know here is some wisdom interesting question i guess there have been several key inspirations my father would would be number one as i say he has been dead many years but i can still feel his influence i can still feel his energy because for all the challenges he had in his life and he had challenges way beyond anything i would ever have experienced very very tough childhood and major health issues right through his life but he was a man of great integrity, great spirit, a true gentleman. So I've learned a lot from that. I wouldn't say he was following his own path in the sense of doing what he really wanted to do. And I'm not sure what it was he really wanted to do, but he, he dedicated himself to raising a family. And that was obviously part of his upbringing, etc. And I, you know, I'm very grateful to him for all that he did. But there have been, I guess there have been a number of teachers I've met through the years and at different stages, different people have helped me, different people have inspired me. So I don't know that there's one particular figure beyond that. I think there's several. And I'm, what I'm finding actually now is I'm meeting more and more people who just inspire me through through their friendship, through how they're living their lives. And I'm recognizing that for all the, I guess, restrictions I've placed on myself over the over life, through my life. And I, and I, I think that's probably the best way to, to phrase it. It's just time to get on with it now and just be myself, be true to myself, do do the stuff I know I'm really capable of doing and do it to the very best of my ability. There was a famous expression of Brendan Behan's, and I won't use the, I won't use the first word, but uh, basically he said, sod the big Rogers. People, some people will like me, some people won't like me, some people will get it, some people won't get it, it doesn't really matter. The more open I am to myself, the more the opportunities just present themselves and the better the opportunities. And again, so many opportunities that I would never have even thought of or so many areas to, to express myself and express what I have to offer are presenting. Like I, I, I did a little homework yesterday and I was just listing a number of either actual or potential collaborations that I can see and most of which have only arisen in the last probably even nine months actually most of them and at the moment there's between all of them there's there's 19 potential collaborations that i could that i could very easily list and there may even be more that i haven't thought of yet 
like their opportunities that have come primarily because I've opened up to myself, because I've been very consistent also in, in my networking and in building connections and in helping people in the process. That it certainly hasn't been just about what can you do for me and help me, give me, etc., etc. I've always been very willing to, to share what I've got with others and to, to help them as best I can. And it's, um, I was in a particular business network many years, many years ago, where the philosophy is givers gain. And that, that particularly resonated with me as well. So there's been a lot of people I've experienced who've shared that. So it's not down to just one individual or highlighting one individual over another. Um, there are more and more people now inspiring me just, just through our connection. Some, some well-known, some not so well-known, but I don't put, I don't put anybody on a pedestal anyway. So um, the inspiration just, there's always, there's always some daily inspiration from somebody. There, there are particular people I guess I'm closer to. We mentioned, we mentioned Lee Tony Ware there. Lee is, Lee is a particular friend and he's been a massive, massive support. And I certainly continue to learn so much more through my interactions with Lee, but not just Lee, there's, there are many, many others as well, uh, male and female, young and old. And it's, it's also being open to being inspired, being open to opening up oneself to bring the best of oneself into the situation. So there's always, there's never a point where you think, oh, I've, I've, I've cracked it, I've done it, I've reached, I've reached the, you know, I've reached the best of myself. It's always, there's always more to open up to and there's always more, there's always more fun, there's always more joy, there's always more learning and there's always more sharing, sharing and engaging. It's a continuous, continuous daily unfolding. Yeah, I was obviously just named two particular people there, but there are so many more. There's there's so many more. Tell us about how the uh, the name of the website and how the book came about. Okay, well, maybe just start with the website. Basically, the company name is ClearSight Communications, and I basically did a little bit of mind mapping. Came up with a lot of different words, but the word ClearSight jumped out at me, and that's because there's so much evidence literally available in ClearSight. So when I look at somebody. The information is there. They don't have to move. They don't have to say a single thing. There's so much information literally available in clear sight about people. And then the communication bit is about that. There's so much information being communicated, but it's also to help people clarify their communication, clarify their message so that they're getting it across to the, the person or the people they're dealing with. That person or those people need to receive it because it's very easy to or relatively easy anyway to be good or even excellent at what we do and to really know our product or our service thoroughly but it's a different thing entirely to get it across to the person a client or prospective client or customer in the way they need to receive the information and the, and the way they they actually process the information so it's very easy for us to be articulate in terms of describing what it is we do and what we what it is we offer what they might be hearing in their head the effect you know the equivalent of rhubarb, 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 you know, the, the crowd scenes in movies and TV, TV um, dramas. And it's very easy to bombard people with technical terms which are just not part of their understanding. So I can help people identify how John or Mary needs to receive the information so that they can process it effectively so you can actually build a relationship and you know seal the deal. The book came about, um, people have been asking me about a book for many, many years. Eventually I started and after a while realized that what I'd started to do or how I'd started to do it was just not going to happen, wasn't going to work because I had this, because I had so much information in my head. Like I can recognize something like 168 either individual facial features or combinations thereof and then how they interact. So that's an incredible amount of information and I was trying to put it all down and it would have been 
it would have been a book I'd never have been able to finish writing. So I had to just abandon that and strip it right back and just give a few key examples of each feature in terms of what they mean, in terms of communication, in terms of the behavior style of the individual. So giving a, giving a clear visual image of six different sets of eyebrows, six different sets of eyes, that kind of thing. A very clear visual image and hopefully a clear explanation of what that actually means in terms of an individual with that, with those particular characteristics. So the book is a, the book is an information primer, I guess, a simple, accessible manual for people who want to be able to understand what a face actually conveys so that they can, again, build effective relationships. And I've titled it Face Facts, The Art of Reading Your Clients and Prospect for Sales, Negotiation and Recruitment. But it doesn't just apply in those areas. It applies in life. Um, I've obviously aimed it at a business audience, which hence the title, but it, it applies in any area of life, in any area of relationship, because really the more effectively we communicate and, and communicate both in terms of giving information and receiving information allows us to build more bridges and much more build bridges much more effectively and communicate more effectively and build stronger relationships in, in all areas of life so um yeah so that's that's how the business name came and uh, and the book i was, I was listening to a, an interview you did there i i a few months ago, I don't know what the time period was, but you described it as an elephant's pregnancy, and I thought that's a great way to describe the <laughs> describe the project. If you can't write a book, just <laughs> yes, yeah, it kind of felt like that, and um, it was yeah because I because I'd, I'd written so much, and then I I realized I just have to scrap this. So I was obviously able to retain some of the information. It's a funny process writing a book because there's what one thinks one is writing, and then there's what actually emerges as one writes. Then there are the technical challenges. Uh, like I needed very specific images. So that took a lot of time in itself. And then I needed images that I could actually, that I had the rights to use, which was a separate thing. And then there's the, then there's the process of getting it printed and printed in particular formats because I self-published and I wanted a hardback. I was advised particularly on that uh, by somebody who'd gone through the process many times. So there, were a whole, there was a whole other series of processes that I would never have thought of before I started writing. Then there's then when the book is ready, you realize, oh, that's not the end of the job. Now you've got to go out and present it to the world. So that's that starts a whole other process in itself. Yeah, so there was the elephant's pregnancy <laughs> and teaching teaching the baby elephant to walk, as it were. Did you use mind mapping to do this all or was it kind of back and forth? No, not all of it. The the title, the book title particularly, and then I use I use mind mapping every so often. I found it a very, very useful tool. I had the good fortune of meeting Tony Bazan a number of years ago in Dublin. He came to speak at an event that my then partner was, was running. And I was fortunate enough that I got to be his chaperone for the afternoon. And then we, we went for a meal. And he's a very, very engaging man. And he was very generous with his explanations, his thoughts, his background, etc., etc. So I learned a huge amount from that experience. And it gave me a lot of ideas on how to use mind mapping effectively. I still, I still use. I, I don't use it all the time. It wouldn't have been helpful to use it all the time for the book because a lot of it just flowed because I had the information. I'd had it for so long anyway. But there were certain times in the process when I used it, and certainly if I'm embarking on anything new, I will almost invariably use it because it's such a rich and creative way of bringing out one's thoughts and often the thoughts that one isn't even consciously aware of because putting the words down on paper in that particular way and particularly using colors as he as he really recommends it's such a way of drawing on a very deep well of 
internal knowledge, internal understanding, internal ex, uh, insights, often memories, but also it can trigger areas that we realize, oh, I need to check up on that. I need to learn that. For anybody who's listening, if you haven't used mind mapping, I highly recommend exploring it. Uh, I think I think anybody in any walk of life can get a huge amount from it. It's like having your own filing cabinet in the mind where you can just open it and full of ideas and, and structure. Yeah. In everything you've you've done, if someone met you on the street, what advice would you give them? If I'm giving advice to somebody, I look to tailor tailor it to their needs as opposed to just giving generalized advice. One thing I have learned is I will only tend to give advice when I'm asked rather than volunteering it because I've, I did recognize that a long time ago when working as a therapist that there's a line between if you like invitation and interference. Um, and if one just promotes or prefers advice to people and it's not asked for, yeah, it can be, it can be, it can be a little bit intrusive. So I don't just give advice. I look to tailor it to the person, the individual person and their situation and what's actually going on for them. Fascinating. We all have to be tailored instead of one half. It's all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's very easy to come up with yeah almost like recipes for success or recipes for life etc very generalized advice and truisms and cliches and what have you but if we can tailor it to the individual it deepens the connection it shows them that we're actually paying attention to them it's to my mind it's much more respectful it's much more caring and caring respect and kindness more and more central to how I look to be in the world. I think they're increasingly essential qualities for all of us. Uh, we're going through, as we know, massive change anyway, enforced change in some respects, but we're having, we've been given the opportunity to reflect very deeply on how we've been living, how we've, the choices we've made in life, the values we've, we've taken on. Certainly I, for one, I'm seeing, even though we're not necessarily in close physical contact, but I'm certainly seeing more examples online and through conversations online with people, etc. I'm certainly seeing far more examples of caring and kindness and respect. And yeah, long may that continue to grow. Yeah. Do you still play soccer or do martial arts? No, I, I love, I love soccer. Nothing has ever replaced it in my life. I still love it, but not just, I, I, I could say I support particular teams, but really I just love the game. Because for me, the game was always about expression. It was about, again, character, movement, athleticism, balance, grace, elegance, creativity, as well as the actual physical contest of the game, because I, I do have a strong competitive element in me. So I love watching it. I do miss it, but my, I don't think my body would be up to playing it again at, at any significant level. And it is a long time since I practiced. The martial art I practiced was Aikido. It's a long time since I practiced. I may look at doing that again at some point, because it's still something about it still resonates within me. And I do need to be more physically active. I know you and I have had a conversation about running, and I know you're an ultra runner. And at some point, it is part of my ambition to run an ultra. I don't know when that's likely to be, but it's it's there for me because again, it's the there's a there's a joy in running that I probably don't get from anything else. And it's not that I'm, I'm not a serious runner, and so and it's, it is, to be honest, it's quite some time since I actually ran. But there was a period where last year where I was running just a local sort of 5k my own circuit just for the sheer pleasure of doing it and i know that's that's part of my intention isn't even a strong enough word that's that's something i'll be doing again soon but just for the sheer 
joy of being in the flow of, of that movement. So running is probably the, the thing I'm most likely to get back to sooner than any of the other things. As a competitive guy, how do you, how are you able to balance the the therapy and the uh, as well? I guess the competitive bit more is more with myself in continually learning, continually improving, continually opening up to doing it better, to serving people more effectively. So it's not a, it's not an aggressive competitive thing. It's just more enjoying the challenge of of just doing it better, just getting a little, just getting more insights into ah yes, if I if I did that, that could really help more. So that's that's more how the competitive bit comes out. It's not it, it it was never really an aggression thing with me, but it was always more about it was always just more about me being better at whatever it was I did, and there was a joy. There was hey yeah, for want of a better term, there was a fierce joy in improving and learning more. And I'd say I would say I still have that, but it was never a fierceness in terms of other people. You you mentioned about enjoying the art of football, and you you also mentioned Zen and Buddhism, and they focus on the art of life. So it sounds like yeah. perfection and a competitive and art of enjoying what it is sounds like it's in your your nature or your makeup. I would say so. Yes, absolutely. And I needed, I would say, to connect with those Eastern philosophies and Eastern ways of life to allow me to emerge more fully because certainly growing up in the western world as I, as I experienced it and i'm not i'm not anti-western or anything like that but the world as i experienced it just didn't make sense to me it was too logical too mechanical even though i wouldn't have been able to put a title on it or a name on it at the time i guess looking back i could say it was very much people living from that cartesian model very logical and if you you know it's not that i have a scientific background but the, the model of newtonian physics and chemistry where i'm seeing again it's not that i understand it in any technical sense but i'm seeing resonance between the ancient oriental philosophies and um, quantum physics neuroscience and i'm seeing more and more of a blending of those areas which makes sense to me at least where again it's about a deep deep interconnection which enables me to again just flow more effectively with life flow more engage more effectively with other people and i guess you could say yeah there is an art to that and i'm continually learning the art so that's probably again part of my competitive expression which doesn't quite doesn't quite align with the taoism i guess being competitive but it's it's a way of i'm continually exploring how to flow more effectively because i'm recognizing the more i flow more effectively the more i can affect more easily i can express the best of myself so that i can best help other people whether again whether that be professionally or personally joseph if people want to get in touch or read or find out more where can they find you okay my website is clearsightcommunications.com that's all one word clearsightcommunications.com i tend to be quite active on linkedin you just find me under my own name joseph mcguire i do have a personal facebook page but there's also a clearsight communications facebook page they're the most obvious ways to get me if people want a copy of the book the hard copy the signed hard copy is available only through my website there is a version available on kindle obviously through Amazon um, but they're the, they're the obvious ways to, to reach me Joseph I want to say thank you so much for coming to the show it's been a pleasure and a joy oh it's been an absolute pleasure for me Aaron you've really got me thinking about a lot of things that I really hadn't thought about for a long time and probably some, some new things as well so you've really um, really stimulated the, uh, the creative juices there today so thank you so much absolute pleasure so much.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.